We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a It's time for a mailbag podcast where I take the questions you sent in and then I reform them to fit my narrative. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name's Elliot Smith and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's how the mailbag pod works. You send in these wonderful questions. I have a glance at them. I start reading them and then I alter them so that they fit what I want to ask in my narrative. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I am going to do my best to read your questions. However, your questions, let me, let me be honest with you. You've got big questions and we've got big answers, but these questions... These are big ones. They're, you know, Arteta's future and and squad building and transfers. But we play Liverpool tomorrow. The football is back. The real football. The football people care about. And we have team news. And I didn't really get a lot of questions about that. So we're going to start the pod uh, with a question about that. And then maybe one more. And then we will get into your, your brilliant questions that uh, uh, take us off into the larger questions surrounding Arsenal and football. And we do thank you for that and hope you're doing well and survive the interlull. And now you are ready for the real football to come back. And it comes back thick and fast, as we like to say. Uh, there is Liverpool at the weekend. There is Slavia Prague on Thursday. Uh, and the football just keeps happening. And the world just keeps on turning. And here to turn the world with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Slow pause. Woohoo! Paul, I got to say, uh, you have kind of become known as the toothpaste guy. Mm-hmm. You use the toothpaste analogy liberally. Uh, which is good. You should use toothpaste liberally. Good for the teeth. Um, I I will say that I am disappointed with you that as yet uh, you have not found us a toothpaste sponsor. Because frankly, I think that's long overdue. And, and I, I do have to question your decision to use the toothpaste analogy because the Arscast, they like they used crisps or chips or whatever you want to call them, and you know they they tried to parlay 
their conversation into sponsorship by companies that would send them tasty snacks. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're going to get a sponsorship with someone that will send us toothpaste. So look, a, a lot of our uh, listeners are from England and they still have those medieval crooked wooden teeth. So like mm. this could be gold. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, that's good. That happened. Um, and Tim's here. You can find him on Twitter. Ask Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Amazing that we can all speak through our medieval wooden teeth and whatnot. <laughs> but let's get on to the questions, my friends. And we are going to start with one about the game tomorrow. I should mention there is team news in. It looks like Smithrow, Saka, Willian all fit or thereabouts. Louise not fit. Shaka is ill. And, um, you know, and, and he's going to see how he feels tomorrow. I imagine he will play because uh, Shaq is contractually obligated to play 90 minutes in every game we play all season. But that is unknown. James Morgan on Twitter asks, with news coming in that Smith Rowe, Saka, and William are all fit, who plays on the left? Got to take advantage of all that space behind Trent. Clive, how do we take advantage of all that space behind Trent? I like Trent. I think he's um, I think he's actually underrated, particularly by Gareth Southgate. But let's not go there, right? While he's got Dyer in his squad, um, I think if you're going to play Liverpool, you look at their front six, and they seem to have worked out that maybe it's best to get their midfielders into midfield. You look at their front six, and you think, oh, crikey, we got a problem. We look at their back four, and you look at that right set of half slot. And I don't know who they're going to use, whether it be Kabak or Phillips. But that right slot around Trent and around um, Phillips, I think that's the slot we've got to go for. And I actually think for this day, for this day and this day only, um, not this day only, but I really got an eye for uh, a Martinelli, funny enough. I just got feeling for him. Hmm. Um, so I think I think it's very important Liverpool, they want to press forward. And so a different type of player to press them back and this is an actual another day for Bamiya, I, I play him at centre forward. I would just have the ability to drop it on their back four. You know, I think that's really important. Drop it on their back four, drop it in behind. Everyone's doing the same thing. They want to press the halfway line. Drop it in behind. Get after it. Push them back and push them into areas where they're not so confident. When they're on the front foot with Fabinho in midfield, they're going to be very confident. So that's how I'd play it just for this game. I'll make it a running race back there and really push them back. So. Uh, Martinelli for me on this day, I think he'd work perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it really is the case that Liverpool now obviously look very different than the Liverpool we faced earlier in the season and, and quite a bit last season. We did manage to beat them in a game where we were fairly handily outplayed towards the end of last season during Project Restart, to be fair. But Tim, you know, I think you look at Liverpool now and you really have to question the right way to approach a game with them. And so Amir on Twitter asks, how would you approach tomorrow's game tactically, given that Liverpool are a bit of a different animal to the team we played at the start of the season? I feel like I just said that. Given their defensive frailty, is it best to really go out and attack or absorb pressure and play on the counter? Which do you favor? Um, I I think just go out and play our game, to be honest. Um, Liverpool actually haven't beaten us at the Emirates since, I think, 2016, when they beat us 4-3 on the opening day. So even um, when Liverpool were themselves, we still gave them a good game. I I accept that the home game last season, they'd already won the league and they were in their flip-flops. But nevertheless, um, I I don't think they're that we've seen much this season to suggest their levels and levels above that. So we, we pretty much always give them a good game at home. I, I wouldn't, I mean, when I say I wouldn't worry too much about it, I'm not talking about going absolute gung-ho, but 
Um, I wouldn't sit back and try and absorb pressure per se. I, I think we tried to do that a bit in the away game at Liverpool. And, and I think certainly in hindsight, that was a mistake. And I understand it because at that point, we didn't have as much evidence about Liverpool not being as hot this season. It was early in the season. Um, and I don't think Van Dijk had been injured yet at that point, to be fair. But I, I honestly, I'd just go out and play them um, like we usually play at home. Um, to be fair, like like we did against Manchester United and Chelsea, and mm. try and get on the front foot. And uh, I, I completely agree with uh, with James's question about getting in behind Trent. That is where the space is, and I think someone like uh, Emil Smith Rowe is who I'd play just because of that way he kind of comes inside to that half space and gives the right back a choice between following him and abandoning his post or else uh, staying where he is and leaving Smith Rowe free. Um, so I, I I quite like the idea of that there again. It's Smith Rowe's hip that's troubling him, and that that does worry me as well because that hip has been troubling him for a couple of years now. So mm. that's yeah, why I that, left him. That's why I left him out, Tim. Because um, yeah, I thought I'm just assuming that him and Saka won't play in this game. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's why I sprang up Martinelli surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I'd definitely be up for that. I never need an excuse to see Martinelli in the in the starting lineup. So um, I, I honestly I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think ah oh, it's Liverpool. How do we do this different? I I just go out and play them, particularly like we play at home. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think we'll give them a good game. They definitely were playing a high line earlier this season. I have to admit to not seeing as much of them just so recently to know if they've stuck with that, but they were playing a very high line. And I would think that given the, the challenges to say the least that they have in central defense and the, the positioning of their defensive line, this is a game for Aubameyang to just keep those center backs nervous and running and on the, on their heels. Right. And that's where Louise is um, a big miss as well, actually. Mm, we're going to get into that. Yep. That yep, definitely. Yeah. Clive, yeah. it sounded like you wanted to come back on that for a sec. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to, only because I have seen a little bit of them. What they are doing, actually, is that they are keeping one of the fullbacks back and they're using Trent on the right-hand side as a deep progressor and long passes from that slot, but much much closer to um, the right centre-half. Because I recognise that he's inexperienced. They're trying to keep people there rather than leaving them Two on two, which Gomez and Van Dyke would do, obviously. So, I think both fullbacks are weak. Actually, I think Andy Robertson's having a terrible time. It's been hidden, you know, and I think he just, he's been easy. Looks exhausted. <clears throat> Excuse me, he's one of the players that hasn't really had a rest. So, they're sort of playing with a three. They're doing a three-two-five thing, and Trent's the one that's sort of um, hanging back. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think if Smith Rowe is not fit to start, we could see something that you guys know I hate, which is Lacazette up front and Aubameyang on the left. Um, it, to be fair, worked as we came back from a three-goal deficit against West Ham. And if Aubameyang is attacking the space behind Trent and and running off the shoulder of, of a center back in, into the space vacated by a fullback, that could work for him. Um, then you have the question of who starts on the right and if Saka's not totally fit. I am absolutely all for seeing Pepe get a start. I think he's overdue for one. Um, I have a hard... Really playing, don't we? Uh, well, that that's the thing. <laughs> what I was going to say is... Ah, uh, that's my lineup. Yeah, well, we, we have to know where William starts. We have to find a place for him. Um, maybe at center back, and we'll get to that momently, momentarily. But I, I would love to see Aubameyang up front with Pepe and Martinelli on either side, or if I have to, William and Pepe on either side. I think we will probably see Lacazette up front with, William, uh, with, with Aubameyang on the left. And maybe William starts on the right because I just think he's not contractually allowed to start Pepe, although I would prefer to see it. It's kind of interesting. I mean, Paul, I'll, I'll let you speak on that momentarily and then we'll get to the center back question. But like, 
it, it is a really interesting two-game run here in terms of divining Arteta's player preference. Because if Smith Rowe can't quite start and Saka can't quite start or he wants to be careful, we're going to really get a sense of what he perceives to be his next best set of solutions and where Pepe and Martinelli are in the pecking order vis-a-vis options like Aubameyang wide and uh, Willian starting. So how do you, how do you see that shaking out? Um, yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. I'd just like to add a bit to the... Um, it, it's a different Liverpool. This could be kind of a third Liverpool, as we've alluded to, with Fabinho back in midfield... Um, I mean, they've only shipped two goals in their last five games. Um, so although we there's opportunity and vulnerability at the back, they've mostly shored it up with Fabinho in, in, the, in midfield with uh, uh, Wijnaldum, Thiago as the midfield. It's not where um, I thought you were see, going with that, Paul, because with your accent, it almost sounded like you said this might be a turd Liverpool, and I was kind of hoping that was the case, but that wasn't where you were going. Now, now that's that's culturalist, mm. and I'm offended mm. uh, for, for the third time. For the anyway, third time, uh, yeah. you're you're offended. It's just to, to say nothing of the people with the wooden medieval teeth, of course. <laughs> but yes, go on, they, please. Oh yeah, I started it. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so look, I I actually think William Tierney combo over on the left would be very interesting, but I just don't think we'll end up playing. I think we're going to play Lacazette. Um, a, we're down on on attackers. B, he's in form. I went back and had had a look at uh, some of the last game we played against uh, them, and uh, early in the year, and Lacazette had loads of chances, even with the high line. You you may not think of him as the guy, and then we think about runners in between, in behind. There's different ways of doing it, and him, Pepe, Odegaard, party behind him. Um, and I, it'll be interesting to see who we play on the right wing if we stick with Chambers or maybe want uh, a solid defender there who can also get forward. Maybe it's Cedric's game this time, and he puts in a good cross, but there could be some... There are other ways to get him behind using Lacazette. Um, in fact, he's pretty good at setting off whoever on the right, and him and Pepe combined well in the last game against West Ham, even if it was only for whatever, 15, 20 minutes, uh, it was still critical to um, how we got our next goal. And he only had a few touches, but everything he did looked lightning. Um, so it could be using Lacazette as part of that quadrangle over on the right that does third man runs, quick zipping it around, and, or gets uh, Odegaard loose uh, through their back line. And then on the left have Aubameyang going after the, after Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um so there's, I think it's really hard to pick a lineup. I liked, I liked Clive's take. I liked Tim's take. I think we've no idea. Well, I think I've no idea how we'll line up. But I think Lacazette might be hard to drop right now in terms of creating goals, and it still gives us the rationale. We used Aubameyang on the right against West Ham to get in behind Cresswell, I believe, and applies just as well on the left. I think so. Um, Especially with Tierney going past on on the left to to uh, to give uh, Alexander Arnold a real choice, so mm. we'll see. Yeah, I mean it is interesting. Look, Liverpool's defense. I was kind of looking at the underlying numbers, their expected goals, and it's sort of been consistent throughout the season. The interesting thing is, all of last season, uh, their expected goals against was forty, which 
you know, there there were plenty of teams. Well, I say plenty. There there were teams better than Wolves was better. Uh, Wolves were better. Chelsea were better. Manchester United were better. Manchester City were better. 40 expected goals. I mean, you know, still look not bad, not bad at all, and, and only allowed 33 goals. So, we, you know, it sort of tells you how you win a league. You win a league running hot, obviously. But you look at them this season, and they're already at 35 and a half expected goals conceded and 36 goals conceded total. So they're already three beyond last season. And if you just sort the league um, by the expected goals conceded, they're actually just behind Arsenal with their 35 and a half conceded and and pretty solidly mid-table. So it, it would seem to me that they are a team that you can attack there because they are still second in expected goals scored behind only Manchester City and a pretty solid second head of Chelsea. So, you know, to me, it still strikes me as uh, maybe it's a throwback fixture. We all remember 4-4, our Shavin, you know, with the Hall. This is a game, a, a fixture that used to have a ton of goals in it. And it wouldn't surprise me if maybe it, it has a bit of the fireworks tomorrow, but you know some of that just depends on who's fit and how the teams approach it. They have Real Madrid on Tuesday. Uh, we have Slavia Prague on Thursday, so maybe that's the the edge we need. Before we move on to some of the bigger questions, Clive, let's get right on the money from the Discord, who asks a question that winds up becoming very relevant to tomorrow. If you had to pick a steady preferred center back partnership for the rest of the season, who who would it be, and how do you think about Louise given his contract? I ask this knowing that we will not have Luis tomorrow. So what's the partnership you expect tomorrow? And then is that the partnership you would like to see the rest of the season? Or how do you, how do you think that should shake out? Yeah, I, I think, obviously, with my wonderful analysis, I think Holding will play on the right centre-back <laughs> side tomorrow. Um, and I, I'm a fan of Gabriel, so my brain says that straight away. Um, I think I'm, I've also been encouraged about Pablo Marie in almost every single game he played, mm. apart from the last one. I mean, it's the only time I've seen him a little make a few sort of shaky sort of mistakes, and um, mm. so yeah, it's the only time every game he's played, I felt he's been fine. I mean, really been massively influential. But so, he and um, Gabriel both play on the left, right? Like, do, do, do yeah. either, have we seen either of them play on the right of of a, of, a, of a two? I've seen Gabriel go over in in game, right? But he hasn't like started five for minutes. You know, he might have been West Ham. Funny enough, mm. no, it wasn't West Ham. Um, it was a game recently where he just flipped over for a few minutes. And I was watching to see if he was going to flip back. And he did after about three, four minutes. So just just an in-game thing. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. And, I and think then there was, there was the City game recently, obviously a crucial game for Arteta, where he played Holding and Marie. And I assume both of those have not been away for international duty. So he's had yeah. them for a good week to play with, Clive. Yeah, he could do. And Gabriel's been sitting at home as well. So um, I think that's... I, I'm 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 slightly biased on this one because I think Gabriel's a fantastic player, you know, I, and I I accept his mistakes, I accept everything for him because the way he defends, he doesn't just defend the ball in the air. I mean, what he did to Harry Kane tells you his levels. I mean, he absolutely bullied him. He bullied him everywhere you want. Upstairs, he went round the sides. When Harry Kane tried to get contact with him, he knows when to sort of touch him and then drop away, and then win the ball in the air. He, he was perfect in that game. Perfect way he defended a very good, smart player who's got weight to him, you know, and um, he wasn't heft. moved in anything. He's got heft. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't moved in any way, you know. So um, so I have a, a liking for that player, and I know he's been shaky on occasions. I know he can sometimes almost over-defend, do you know what I mean? Like go chasing mm-hmm. and over-defend, but and I recognise that, and people critique him, and that's absolutely fine. 
but you know me, Elliot, I look for the next day. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, you're on your way, mate. You're on your way. And when you arrive, it's over for everybody, you know? So I think, and I do think Holden's had a good sit down since he signed that contract. <laughs> not sure what he did when he signed the contract and stick two fingers up at the manager. I'm not too sure what he did. <laughs> but um, but um, he was doing fine. You know, um, I think for him to really progress at Arsenal, I think he's got to work on his long, longer distribution. And I think he's a, a fine player, good attitude, good character. For me, it's Louise and Gabriel's my number one. But hopefully Holding will play in this game and show people he's not dead. So you, you would have Louise and Gabriel as your number one, though? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, sorry, I will make that clear. I think you need a, a, a low block defender and a, a tight defender, which I think Gabriel is. You need a, a possession defender, which I think Louise is. I don't think holding quite is that. I think he's a low block defender on the right hand side. And I think Marie plays that possession y type game. That's the combination that you have. And I'm looking forward to Saliba, who I think is going to be our possession defender on the right hand side as he develops. I know I've taken a lot of a lot of projection there because we don't know if he's even going to be sold in the summer, but if he comes back, he's going to be a possession defender. If you watch his videos, it's all about his carries, all about his dribbles, all about his distributions regaining possession, keeping it. That's what he is. And that's why the combination of him and Gabriel is very exciting on paper. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, Tim, let's finish up with the game then just on this. And it, it's kind of backtracking, but I want to get your thoughts on it. Dipsy in the mm. Discord. Um, that's not the name. The name is Dipsy, but it's from the Discord. It says, if uh, Smith, Rowe, and Saka aren't fit to start tomorrow. Now, we know they're potentially fit to start, but let's say they don't play. And presumably mm. Pepe plays on the right, which I, I'm not sure we can presume. What do you do on the left? Would you do Oba... With Laka up front or Willian with Oba nope. up front? Strange how Martinelli doesn't nope. come in realistic <laughs> consideration. I mean, do you do you have what's your preference? Yeah, Martinelli would be my mm. preference um, for a lot of the reasons Clive outlined. I, I don't think that will happen though. Um, so why don't I give the more interesting answer, which yeah, is what do I think Mikel Arteta mm-hmm. will do? Um, I think he'll play Willian. I do think he'll play a Bamiyang up front. Um, or, in, in, in fact, I, I wouldn't be that surprised if he if he sat Aubameyang down and played Lacazette up front. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think both those players will start. I think he'll play Willian um, off the left, yeah. Which, for me, is probably the worst choice. Not just because... Um, I, you know, because he's the worst player the for starters, <laughs> but, but it's just, I mean, my, my, my absolute preference would be Smith Rowe just as someone to move off that, that wing and try and make Trent Alexander Arnold think. And I, I don't think he's really a natural defender. And I think it opens up the space potentially for Tierney, but I, I think it will be Willian. It's if it's Lacazette and Willian, I'm going to all of the goodwill I've banked with Arteta is going to go out the window because <laughs> someone's got to run at that Liverpool back line, for God's sakes. Someone's got to run in behind. And I know Willian, in theory, can do that, but he doesn't have the burst. Obama, this is an Aubameyang game. Whether you yeah. want to play him from the left or from the center, I realize people are down on, on his attitude and his, his form, whatever the heck the narrative is at the moment. This game is made for him. He's the kind of player who can torment Liverpool, and I think he needs to. Um so we'll see. I want to. I want to move on from this, but just real quick, uh, uh, Tim, do you have a an expectation for tomorrow prediction? Uh, I think it's going to be one all. Um, I, I I do think it's going to be a draw. Maybe you're right, Elliot, and it'll be slightly more high scoring than that two two or something like that. Mm. But I, I think this is going to be a really tight game. Um, actually, I I yeah. 
I, I think it's going to be a really, you know, it's going to be one of those good game for the neutral type things. I think the interesting dynamic in this game is that for both teams, this is not the most important game of their week. But seriously um, for Liverpool, like Tuesday yeah. against Madrid is different than yeah. Thursday against Slavia Prague. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I, I do think that fits with Liverpool's ambitions in terms of um, the fact that they've, they've got history in the Champions League. They know how to win that competition. They know they can. And I think they might be like, I'm not sure I'd say more motivated. Yeah, maybe more motivated to go for that. Because if you're a footballer, right? And, you know, they've got a load of 29, 30-year-old players who are playing in this this great team that is, you know, probably on its last legs, figuratively speaking, what are you going to go for? Fourth place or the big shiny Champions League trophy? If you're Salah, Mane, Firmino, I, I know which one I'm going for. Yeah, um, Our players lot. should just spend the whole game running around beside Liverpool players, ask them how they see the game going next week against Madrid <laughs> in <laughs> the quiet moments. Just, just little things I, like, hey, I'm about to sprint here, buddy, and I don't want you to pull your hamstring, so maybe just try to play the, the, the offside <laughs> line instead of running with just, me. <laughs> I, I, I think if you ask like uh, John Henry for example he might kind of take the view that well you know we won the Champions League recently um, need that fourth place to definitely get back in it next year and keep generating the revenue whereas if you're a player you know you're if you're a 30 year old Liverpool player at the moment which a lot of their players are you can say fuck off I want the Champions League like well it's I'm, funny you should I'm say 30. that did, did, did you listen to the latest Ars cast that you were yeah literally yeah, on yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you weren't on the section I'm thinking of which is um, is it Neil from the Anfield rap is that yes, who I'm thinking yeah, of? He, 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 he actually yeah, made a very similar that, argument yeah. that for these players you know they've just won the Champions League they've won the title fighting for top four is a hard ambition to motivate for with the kinds of things they've just achieved but going and trying to win big years one more time yeah that's something they can get up for yeah. so and you know they've actually got some bit like they I think they're playing us man United and Chelsea in their running so it's not it's not like winning the Champions League is probably not that much more difficult for them um, than doing everything they need to do to get in the top four yeah. Okay. Let's move off from this game. Uh, should be an interesting one. By the way, Tim, is there anything more classic than an 8 p.m. Saturday kickoff? <laughs> uh, absolutely not. But you know what? I yeah. I I I actually, e- even if I was able to go, I wouldn't mind that. Like I love Friday night games. I, I wish there were more Friday night games. And uh, mm. yeah, sa- Saturday night would be got a kind of, of a, fine with me. A whiff of the classico about it. That kickoff time. So yeah, yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize is is. If it's Saturday 5.30, it might as well be Saturday 8 o'clock because um, we still have a pretty Victorian uh, uh, timetable for trains in this country. So 5.30 away at Liverpool, you cannot get a train back. The last train from Liverpool to London is 7 p.m. on a Saturday, which is pathetic, but that's the truth. Uh, Well, let me tell you about trains here. Uh, Well, let's see if you still feel as bullish on the kickoff time when I'm pinging you at 10 p.m. for the Instant Reaction podcast and see if you're you're still feeling as bullish about the kickoff time then. Okay, let's get on to the important stuff, Paul. You ready? Yeah. Matt on Twitter asks, and I I should give people's Twitter handles to be fair. So he's at the Matty Myth or the, the, the Matt Myth, the Matt Myth. So maybe his name is not Matt because it's a myth. Who knows? Hypothetical one for you. The Cronkies mm-hmm. go mad and sign Lionel Messi this summer. No other transfers in or out are completed. Where do we finish in 21-22? <laughs> I, I love this question, by the way. I think this is my favorite question we got. <laughs> okay, so we only make one signing. And um, it's Lionel Messi. 
And this from bastard, Barcelona, if you're not, for, I know you know I, you don't necessarily follow the, the whole global game, but he's from Barcelona. No, I've, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying this bastard comes in and kills Odegaard's minutes. That stop, stealing, stop stealing Clive's chat that was content, my line. for God's sake. He stole my lineup. <laughs> he's still, now he's yeah. stealing my punchlines. Mm-hmm. Um, look, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, Would he like, start ahead it, of William? <laughs> 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 look, I'm all fired up to give you a case why William on the left, left ain't so bad, but I'm holding back. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be fun. Um I mean, I don't know if he scored like 55, he owes us 55 goals. He does it for Barcelona every year. Then we just need to find a couple more from the other lads. It'd be grand. Um, I mean, would we finish? Where would we finish? Uh, Would it even be good? Would we get worse? Uh, Would it change us that much? Yeah. In the end? Yeah. He's the best player to ever play football. Yes, that changes your team a little bit. Next year, yeah, yeah, I know. But next year, would he do enough at Arsenal? Would we have enough around him to move us hugely? I mean, you, you got to think. What's it's he good for? Goals and assists. What's he good for? If if he let's say he plays 30, 30 starts in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, see, the problem is we're already a top four team ish. We're probably top S- four or five. Says the club in ninth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm looking at the true table, as I call it, uh, which yes. starts December starts 26th. Boxing day, yeah. <laughs> and so the question is, would he get us into third, second, or first? Probably. He's going to move us up. We're not going to win. Uh, but, you know, we might be, we'd be top four, I think, because uh, we're maybe just there or just under it at the moment. So we get top four, top top three. <laughs> Only Arsenal will get Lionel Messi to get back to being a Fourth just place. about a top four <laughs> club. Um, yeah. But it would take some adjusting. Uh, on the other hand, if you're replacing Odegaard, who, look, he's been great and done plenty of everything, but you're not relying on Odegaard for defense. You're not relying on him to do all sorts of other things. So in that kind of a setup... Um, it's all it's all pluses, and uh, I mean it'd be tremendously fun and funny, and we'd have him for a year or two. But what's he going to get? I, I think eighteen goals, fifteen assists. Yeah, yeah, easy. Probably in that range. Yeah. In that range. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I think we're second or third, and I think we win the Europa League if we're still in it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't think people really. Appreciate. I was about to say, I don't think people appreciate how good Lionel Messi is, (laughs) which sounds ridiculous when you say it that way. But, but I mean, I, I, I think. Look, age curves are my my thing. Yes. Um, It's possible that he could hit that cliff. Of course, Um, this gives me a a chance though to just point out that at 22 years old, Cesc Fabregas scored 19 goals and had 15 Mm -hmm. assists in 34 starts for Arsenal. Unbelievable. Um, Okay. Uh, And and just to clarify, it it depends on which Lionel Messi is around next year. Like if you ask me getting Lionel Messi uh, two, three years ago, then we're off to win win the league. league. Yeah, you win the league. Uh, Maybe not the first year, but by the second year you're winning the league. It's tough with City because City have so much talent and the best coach and, you know, but whatever. Yeah, you win the league with Lionel Messi. Um, Okay. So, Clive, you ready? Yeah, good. Okay. I'll take that as a yes. You ready? Yep. <clears throat> okay. Yep. This one comes, uh, another one from Twitter we're going to do, comes from 
Oh, boy. The pronunciations are not my thing, as you know. Uh, Arsiblog. Arsiblog. Ars at Arsiblog. Arsiblog. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) If we fall short of European football for next season, and assuming there's not going to be a change in the manager, technical director, what could they do in the summer that would convince you they can improve the trajectory for next season? And is it signing Lionel Messi? (laughs) That last bit is is not his question. What could they do in the summer that would convince you they can improve the trajectory for next season? So, so is he saying we're out of Europe completely next year? We're out of Europe, completely out of Europe, and there's no change behind the scenes. What could they do to convince you they can improve the trajectory for next season? That is from Arrest of Arrest question Because I, I, if we don't win the Europa League, I'm all right with us being out of Europe. You know, I know people that don't like that answer, but I think we need to reset. I think we need to absolutely focus and reset on our league performance <laughs> and consistency. So we've got players to sell. I don't, I don't think the job changes. I really don't think the job changes. I think contractually, and where people are on their development curve, things like Maitland-Niles, for example, the players on loan, I think the next steps are obvious. The only, only challenge I see is can we do all the work? And every club you seem to look at has got a similar amount of players they want to sell. Because we really froze, we really froze last summer. There wasn't that much movement. So all these players are now collating all the dusties around them all in every single club. And they, they've all got ideas to sell five and buy one big one. Do you know what I mean? And but can you sell? And can you sell at the right price? And you really are selling to each other because there's no market anywhere else. So I think the challenge is going to be getting people out the door, get people out the door appropriately at the right price then your ability to rebuild should, is easier to buy than sell because everyone wants to be here because all the other leagues are unstable financially. The most stable league to guarantee your money going forward is the Premier League. And so buying isn't a problem. It's selling is going to be the problem at mm. the right price. And so, and when people, and I'm one of them, when I see eight or nine go out the door and four or five that I really like, I'm convinced. You know, and you know, and until I see him play, I'm absolutely convinced. You know, and then we see him play, we think, "Quacky, what's he like?" You know, and so I think just the the general movement, where we're heading on churn, I think the churn is the key thing. I think January was really important for the churn we did in January, even though it wasn't massively cost effective. It's important for squad harmony, and results since Christmas have proven it so. And we do it again in in, in the summer. And that's what I want to see more than anything. More than anything, I want to see a recognition of what an Arsenal player used to be versus what an Arsenal player is going to be. And I hope that the talent identification of Edu and Arteta and all the recruitment people matches up to my expectations, really. And that is the number one key thing. And Europe, for me, is a bonus. Champions League would be everything. You know, it absolutely would be everything. Probably I can honestly take it or leave it because the more important things for me are the the recruitment strategy. Yeah. Um, you know what I would say, Clive? I think you're spot on. And for me, look, I already think the trajectory is starting to look like what we want it to look like from a footballing standpoint. For them to convince me that they've got the club under control from a technical standpoint, off the pitch, it, it's about decisiveness this summer that proves a change of philosophy from this win-now, short-term, mortgage-the-future approach. And 
attempts to unwind that strategy and clearly move to a, a, a more sophisticated long-term and sustainable strategy, right? So decisively moving on younger players that don't have a future at the club to cash in and get the money to reinvest, not buying Sergio Aguero, right? Not not paying big money to aging players. Can you get some expensive players off the books? Can you move on a Willian, for example, and just, you know, eat a loss there? Is there, is there a way you can unwind some of the commitment to overage players? Can you generate revenue from the younger players that aren't going to make it and then bring in players that are at the right age, the right profile for the team to move forward? That That would be a big thing for me. Tim, insert name. So I will call him Turd Ferguson. (laughs) Turd Ferguson on the Discord asks, I mean, it's insert name, so I assume I'm supposed to do it. So Turd Ferguson. By the way, if you're saying, where does that come from? Uh, uh, The quite hilarious Jeopardy sketches from Saturday Night Live. You can look them up. Uh, It's what the Burt Reynolds actor, who is actually, why can't I think of his name right now? The guy playing... Burt Reynolds calls himself Turd Ferguson. Says it's funny, and then Alex Trebek says it's not funny. Anyway, uh, that's an oral history of the Jeopardy sketch on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Tim, given the best and worst scenario ending for this season, what is the minimum we should expect from the Arteta project for next season? Best scenarios, we win the Europa League. Worst case scenarios, we finish below Europa League in qualification places. What What is the minimum we should expect from the Arteta project? And I love this question because there has been a lot of patience. At some point, mm-hmm. that's going to run out, you would think, if we don't yep. start meeting minimum expectations. So what what should those minimum expectations be and that, that we actually start holding him in the club to? Yeah, sure. So next season, comfortably in the top six and at least challenging for the top four and in that conversation to the end of the season, that um, that that's where I, I think we really should be. Um, and we've under-delivered on that this season. Um so that that's certainly an, and then with the cups it's you know it's it's uh, the cups are a bit more of um of, of a lottery i guess if we're in the europa league um i would expect us to compete to win that again and get to at least the semi-finals and obviously it would depend on who knocked us out and when really but i would not expect to go out to someone like olympiakos mm. in the europa league if we're in the Champions League, getting out of the group stage um, and into the knockouts, um, again, minimum expectation. So, yeah, definitely from a league standpoint, like comf- like not having like the top six shouldn't really be in question um, or it shouldn't be. I say it shouldn't be in question like like we should we should be in there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess a bit like Leicester are at the moment like that's what i'd expect for us to be on pace to do that at least all season and not be hanging around in ninth or tenth and hoping to get in so like relatively speaking setting some pace um you know six being pretty pretty much in the bank um and fourth being you know being uh very much in our sight lines i, I think that's that's where we should be mm, i think that's right yeah and i mean we're going to have to have continually have the conversation of process versus results. But as much as I love, you know, just absolutely going off the deep end, emphasizing process at the expense of results, at some point the results have to be there. At some yeah, point you have to set a hard line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Because why do you look at process? Because you believe in the long term that's where the results are. So that's why you look at things like XG, for example, because what XG tells you is, well, actually, if we keep doing this, eventually this will happen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the reason you look at process um, as well as results is because you believe that the process will bring the results. Yeah, it's a really good point, right? If you're fully process oriented, 
but it never brings the results you're expecting, then you've evaluated the process process. wrong. Yeah, Yeah. then it is a bad process. That's exactly right. Um, So yeah, I I think that's that's an interesting point, which then leads to the next question, which Twins in France asks, and I wonder, is this from both of them? Or is just one of them asking? They're at Twins in France. Les deux en France. Uh, I don't know what Twins is in France, so I just went with the two. But uh, it's... Un de les deux. I don't, I don't know. You know what? Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Pretend that didn't happen. Um, so anyway, there is a question here. Paul, over under, how long Arteta stays with Arsenal after this season? He sets it at 2.5 seasons. So over or under 2.5 more seasons from Arteta at Arsenal? Mm. I think that's about right. I'd say uh, five seasons in total. Hmm. So you, you think over? Yeah, could be just, six. Just. Interesting. Yeah, could be six rather you know than four. I, I, I can't see four. Let's do a quick um, whip around then. To Clive, yeah. two and a half more seasons. Over that or under that from Arteta after this season? Um, Two and a half, just over. For me, he's always a three to five year manager. That's okay. what he was. And it's all dependent on the Champions League. Tim? Yeah, I think it's going to be about two and a half years. That's the thing. So it's difficult for me to go over or under because I don't think it will be less than two, but I don't think it will be more than three, if that makes sense. So and that will be governed by, yeah, where we are at the time. Um, I'll say over and that I'm going to say that's positive because if it's over, I think that means that Arsenal are on on the right track. Yeah, I think. I think it's interesting, right? Because what it, what it proves, if we all feel it's right around that number, it proves why the whole be patient, be patient thing is a little silly. Because you're not talking about be patient and then he'll be here 20 seasons. You're talking about be patient and get another two seasons out of him, right? So, like, like again, I, I, I think it is right to stick with him, of course, and I think it is right that he'll probably stick around another three seasons, roughly. But that shows you why... Moving on from managers quickly isn't the end of the world because even if they even if they're successful with you, they're probably going to move on relatively quickly. So an interesting one. Um, here's one addressed to me from Sean Fitzgerald at Sean's Gone Wild. Um, I have the video, by the way, Sean, and it is sensational content. Um, how Loving it, the twins. Yeah, this one is <laughs> the twins in France. Uh, this is one for me. How does it feel to have a cameo in the Pixar movie Up? You have been silent on this topic for far too long. My two worlds, having a two-year-old and Arsenal, collided when mindlessly watching Disney Plus with him one day. Ha ha. Sean, um, it feels great to have a cameo in Pixar movie Up for one reason. Uh, to be a part of enduring and beloved content is something I, I always wanted for myself. And, and that cameo gave me that and no other thing will ever give me that. So that made me feel good. Um, but I hope you enjoy the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, we've got a lot more questions and a lot of really good ones that I'm kind of excited to get into, and they get increasingly difficult. But no Manscaped today, although we hope you love Manscaped and we'll patronize them uh, with all of your private cleaning and, and shaving needs. But we do have to follow the orders of our podcast daddy. So podcast daddy insists we take a break here and tell you about something. We're going to do that. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with more of your questions after this. Stay with us. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. 
As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Okay, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that. And more questions. And Clive, will dive right in with a difficult one. This comes from Alex Cortez uh, on Twitter at jacortez91. And to be fair, this almost exact question, to the extent that it makes me wonder if they are indeed the same people, because on Discord, from DNAID0098, so maybe that is the DNA code of Alex Cortez, you never know. Um, Clive, DNA wants to know, what do we do about Lucas Torreira? And Alex Cortez wants to know, how do you deal with the Torreira situation? You can answer either question. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, that's... They are that's, the same, after all. That's the human side of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you follow Torreira on Instagram or anything like that, he's very, very close to his mother. Extreme you know, Very close, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. The whole family bond is huge. He just hits you in the face. And, and so... You know, when I heard that, I thought, wow, that's going to absolutely devastate him. And it seems to have done. And I heard heard some stuff on video today, and Charles Watts did a very good video about this. And he sort of was speaking about it, saying he's a very emotional guy. You know, back to Europa League final, you know, he was very much broken. In the FA Cup final, he was... I don't think he played him, you know, and he was very emotional when we we won that. Um, It's like... You know, this is going to really, really, really hurt him. And I'm not sure what we're going to have afterwards. I think he seems to have taken his mind. He wants to go away and play the Boca. So, and when you read the quotes, you think, oh, we've got to let him, you know, but he, but he's an asset and we, and we can't. He's, he's 20 million pounds to us, you know, and, um, and Boca haven't got that sort of money floating in their back pocket. I mean, Tim would know more than me, but. They haven't got the last time I read or heard they've got like ten million pound record signing. So can we afford to make it happen? So maybe it might be a loan because he's got two years ago in his contract. I'm generally not sure. I'm naturally where we are right now, it's a human situation. And the human part of it is just so heartbreaking. As for so, so many people that have lost people way sooner than they should have done during this pandemic. So um at the moment, mate, it's just a sad, sad, sad situation. And oh, here comes I'm Paul, not man. sure. Yeah. I just think, you know, it's going to be a, a sensitive one for us to uh, to manage. And I'm generally not sure how we're going to do it. Apart from at this moment in time, I almost, I almost hope he gets his wish. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I almost hope he gets his wish because there, there's, there's more to life. To, he wants to go to Boca, right? Uh, to Boca Juniors, yeah. and they're not going to have the money to pay the kind of transfer fee, at least presumably, that a European club might. But if you have an emotionally damaged player, understandably, going through one of the hardest things a human being deals with in life, which is the loss of a parent and the loss of a parent way too young, I think in her early 50s, 53 maybe, tragic. Um, yeah. It, you, 
you're not you're not going to get a huge transfer fee for a player that has struggled to assimilate to you know and and, and get integrated into certainly English life. He's not going to go stay in England. Maybe Italy, maybe Spain, but he's hurting. He wants to go to Boca. What is someone going to pay for a player like that? Um, and and to be fair, on the footballing side, a player who hasn't exactly lit the world on fire clearly has qualities. Clearly, could be helpful to us or helpful to another club. But under the emotional situation, a question of what you would get from him, I think it's it's really just a question of can Boca come up with something that makes sense? You can't just as much as you want to be the good human being and say. You know, you can just go, just go. I don't, I don't think you can do that. Um, you, you can't do that. I mean, I understand why you can't do that. But if Boca can come up with something of value, it may prove to be the best offer we have, and it may just make like a sense. Pepe deal, Elliot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. paying installments over three, four years. Yeah, it's got to be something like that. But um, I just in time. It's the human side is just heartbreaking. Like, well, I can't should, see beyond it actually. Yeah, I mean, it's. What can you expect of a player who's just mentally distraught? And and how do you how do you make a decision that helps that player heal, but also takes into account the fact that millions of dollars have been spent to acquire his services, and he, and millions of pounds are paid. Um, I don't even know if Boca could take on his contract, so that you know that's another issue. So I you know and admittedly I may be vastly underestimating the resource capabilities of Boca Juniors, but. The most important thing is that Torreira is okay, and I hope he is. And it's a shame because I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could have been a useful player for us next season, given some potential clearouts. But it is what it is. It's a really tricky one, and I think you've described it beautifully. And the only reason I referenced Paul is when you said it's a sad situation. I assumed that we would get um, the Paul. sad, sad the situation. One. Yep, yep, that's the one. Um, can I say something that's going to sound harsh, though? Uh, like I, I expect it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think we're letting ourselves off the hook if we say, and what would he be worth anyway? Because, like, he's going to be worth a lot more if he stays in Europe. And even if it's 15 if, million, that's more than 1.5 million or so. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I didn't look, uh, I'm going to say it in the harsh uh, look on the personal level. It's very, very difficult. And being away from family when you lose a parent, uh, which has happened to me. Uh, twice, unfortunately, and I would have loved to have moved countries back to my family and wasn't able to. So I kind of know what going through it feels like. Maybe his situation is different. Maybe he he was a little younger than I was. Uh, Maybe he's kind of emotionally much more entwined with his family. But still, he knows when he took out this five-year contract with Arsenal to get paid three, three, four million a year, that um, it's a commitment for five years. And we paid Sampdoria 25 million. And, you know, he has no way to go back to Sampdoria and say, how would you like to chip in here with the money they took for the contract? Um, You know, he'll still basically be getting paid three million. I didn't see anything in his statement saying he was willing to give up his wages. As I said, I'm going to give the the harsh version of it because, um, you know, there's there's just some basics here. He could decide not to play for Uruguay in the national tournaments, giving himself two months a year back in his home country. He could set up the world's best 24 by 7 video conferencing tunnel 
back to Uruguay to his family he, so he could talk to them all the time. He's been able to take care of his family in a way he never possibly could have without the Arsenal money to this point. And we're a club at the moment who just doesn't have 15 plus his wages to throw away for two years in this situation. So I I think we should make all the accommodations in the world possible for him in terms of giving him compassionate leave, um, <clears throat> suggesting ways he doesn't play for the national team. Um, just find time for him to spend time back there, especially right now. Um but I don't, uh, pers- like, we, we can't hold the, the club to account for how they manage their finances and say, Asher, what's 15 or 20 million? Um, he's in a tough situation. He's, he's a young man who's taken on responsibilities. It's very tough. He's, he's I assumed, banked most of the money. Um, and that has been great for him and his family going forward. And in two years' time, at the end of his Arsenal contract, he can move back to Uruguay for the rest of his life. Um, and so I don't think it's... Let's say there's a lot to, There's a lot of pieces there and a lot to talk about. There's his personal situation, but there's also his commitments. And surely between the club and himself, they can find something where he spends a reasonable amount of time at home. Um, but his contract with Arsenal has allowed him to take care of his family in a way that is beyond his wildest dreams. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's awful, but we are living in a moment right now where tragedy is touching more people than, than even under normal circumstances where it does so more than it should. And everybody, it feels like is working through some tragedy at some level and, and finding ways. And life is hard. I mean, it is. It is period. Yeah. Life is hard. Yeah, no, and, and so look, I, I I think you are correct that the club can't just have a policy of, you know, if a player goes through a hardship, basically immediately exonerating them from contractual obligations and setting aside any business requirements. I, I do you think there's can't a question. Do it. No, you can't. Yeah. I, I do think there is a question of player power here to the sense that sure. what what happens to the fee and the desirability of the player if he just shows that he doesn't have the the wherewithal to to make it in Europe right now. But you know what? Let, let's okay. see how that plays out. It's just happened. It's fresh. Very right now, the most important thing yeah. is that yeah. he gets mm-hmm. through this period of extreme um, extreme dismay and sadness and, and loss. And maybe when that fog lifts, he will be able to think a little bit more long-term about what's best for him and his family beyond that. So- and I do wonder if having such a sucky time in the last couple of years football-wise isn't a piece of this that, that maybe he's finding it hard to factor in. I mean, he wasn't very happy at Arsenal by all accounts, and he's probably miserable uh, in his current situation. That's not going to help how you see the world. Yeah, so some players just don't act. I mean, Danielson's a good example of that, a different circumstance, but it just, you know, he he couldn't get comfortable with Arsenal. Um, Tim, Rob J at Brooklyn Gooner, but the Brooklyn is all smushed together, so it's Brooklyn, Brooklyn. B-R-K-Y-L. Anyway, uh, which player we have currently loaned out can come back and play a big role for us next season? Uh, I am adding here, you have to pick one. You cannot That's say a good none. Question. Because none, uh, is, yeah. none is eligible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is a big question. And um, I, so I, I think that most likely um, it might be one of the young English players. And I'm, I'm going to say Joe Willock 
And the reason I'm going to say Joe Willock is because, first of all, I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles has kind of made his mind up mm. um, that he wants to leave. And I, and I, I think that's fine. I, I think that's the, um, it's fine that we part ways. Genduzzi's got one year on his contract and he, like that's not happening. Torreira's not happening. Um, who else is out on loan? Um, Mavropanos. Saliba. 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 Yeah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what? Yeah, that, that. The, the reason I was going to say Willock is just because... Um, a, we don't have that much in midfield. And I, I wrote a piece yesterday just looking at the work that Arsenal have ahead of them this summer. And I think Xhaka and Elneny will both get contracts um, just because of We're the volume. We're going to give Elneny a contract? There, there goes I, all my I, hopes I, and dreams. <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. I think so because they've got to replace the BIOS. Um, they probably want to bring in like a bit of an upgrade anyway um to play alongside party and, and with Nenny, he seems happy enough to play a squad role won't cost the earth arteta seems to like him not enough to you know play him all the time but just to play him here and there like i i think he will get another contract just out of expediency um really whether it's like a really long contract i'm not sure but I, I can see that happening. And so I thought, well, look, just because there's not an awful lot else going or there's, you know, there's we're losing a lot of midfielders basically this summer. But also there's the homegrown rule. And if someone like Callum Chambers goes, for example, um, then we're in a bit of trouble on the homegrown rule, which is why mm. I think Willock, for example, might be kept around for a year. I also think Newcastle are going to go down. Um, I think they'll be relegated, so I don't think they will have the um, the financial wherewithal to keep him. But now Clive's reminded me of Saliba. I, I actually think that's more likely, um, to be honest, just because, um, you know, whether we give Louise a new contract or not, you'd like to think that Saliba will come back and be part of the first team. And that doesn't necessarily mean starting on the first day of the season, but coming back into the fold, perhaps starting off with the Europa League group games and, and the Carabao Cup and and going from there. So I, I think it would have to be Saliba. I still don't think, I still very much get the vibe that Arteta doesn't want him um, and that he wants something else there. Um, and just going, I guess, to Andrew's question about what would make you feel more uh, confident in the club this summer, I want to see some evidence of, of some pushback um, mm. from Edu in particular no more of this fucking oh and Ketty is too important to sell and then not even putting him on the bench for like no none of that um, I want to see I want to or I want some sense of evidence of Edu saying look are you going to play this guy give me yes or no mm. maybe not right he's, he's for sale simple as that I don't want any more of this like messing about um, and, and I, I think I have, to, I have to come in here right because Tim do you, don't you think that them two are same person almost they're, yep. they're handing glove yep. the same and you yep. know the way edu builds relationships what's your gut telling you about that pushback yeah that it's not there um and that for me there does need to be another another like senior voice in the room i, I think edu and arteta like each other and that's great and i think you're right i think they probably are quite similar um, but I don't. I, I think there has to be a little bit of friction at that level. So I, I want those things pushed back on. I want if Arteta says he doesn't want Saliba, um, I want Edu to say, okay, but you've got no money to um, to buy who you want as a right centre back because we've got too much else to do. We cannot mess around 
when we've already invested in a guy to play here. So you're the super coach. You're the great coach. You're the next big thing. Coach him. He's 20. Coach him to do what you want him to do. And if you can't, that's an admission to me that you are underselling yourself and you don't think you're capable. Mm. That's the kind of, obviously it doesn't have to be that kind of aggressive, but do you know what I mean? I want some evidence. <laughs> I want some, I I want some evidence. Him. <laughs> if there aren't a few F-bombs in there, are they really even disagreeing? Um, but do you know what I, I mean? I, I, I want some evidence of some, maybe a little bit of, of discussion about these things and not, yep, whatever you say, Mikel, yep, keep him on 50 grand a week um, watching the game on his sofa, no problem. The worst thing that that you can do if you start up a new company with a friend is always agree with each other. It's the worst (laughs) thing you can do. And I speak from experience. I had a tech startup. Me and my friend did it. We were really gung-ho about it. But there was no one in the room to tell us an idea was bad. And you need it. You need to know when your ideas are wrong. And you need someone who will push back and show you why they might be wrong. Otherwise, you fall in love with some good ideas, but some bad ideas too. And like... You know, as someone who has failed at a lot of things, usually it is for lack of perspective. And the 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 what limited things I have succeeded at in my life, I've succeeded at through having voices there to kind of guide me away from the rocks. You need that. You know, you need a look. Also, in marriages, uh, marriages without arguments are in as much trouble as marriages with terrible arguments. You need Mm. good arguing. Uh, It won't feel good at the time. It'll be a humdinger. Shit has to come out. You got to talk about stuff, and it, and stuff. You don't really get to the real nub of something until you actually have a good humdinger of an argument. Yeah, I Better mean, pa- pa- Paul and I can speak from experience. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's do this, Clive. Let's give you one that that was targeted for you, Sammy at AFC. Sammy ten asked a question that was also echoed by um, bet bad fromance <laughs> bad fromance uh on the discord bad fromance says given our current squad and squad needs would it make sense to pursue a tucked in chamber style right back in the window or an attacking hakimi <laughs> right explains back? why he runs like that yeah because he's tucked in yeah, I, yeah. I, I that's nope not going there um and what sammy asked was what are your thoughts on hakimi lots of talk about him on twitter recently i like him a lot going forward but i'm unsure how good he is defensively so what do you think of hakimi and style wise is that the need or, or do we need something a little um a little more tucked in, as Bad Fromance suggests. Yeah, I call it all court, all court right back, right in there. And but yeah, I think the Akimi thing. Yeah, I don't think we should be spending 40, 50 million on on the right back. I'm going to give you a spoiler here, Clive. We're not going to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we need to. So that the um, the it sells it sells papers, right? So um. Um, my view is we need a more of an all-court player, and there's there's two that I like the look of. One I didn't know anything about about two weeks ago, and I actually thought Chambers did a great job the other day, and I thought he did a, he understands that role really, really well. I just wish he was a yard faster. That's all. Again, we wouldn't have to do anything. You know, I'm very close to thinking. Well, actually, I'd rather see the money invested elsewhere. Certainly, save from Hector goes, which looks like it could happen. Cedric stays. That combination isn't the worst in the world. But then I say, by saying that, how are we going to get to the top top end of the table? I don't think that's enough quality. I don't think it's enough resilience. I don't think it offers enough speed. There's a player at Real Betis called Emerson Royale. You know anything about him until two weeks ago? He hit our headlines that we were looking at him, had a good look at him, and he's like a a, a faster Chambers, a bit more in the Carl Walker mode, um, who can play inside and out, good to his feet. Raw enough for us to not have to spend too much money. 
Um, and yeah, I like the look of him. He's perfect for what we're doing. A lot of people like the killer Ajax, um, Maswari, his name is. Again, he's a bit more Cancel, like a bit lighter, a bit neat and light. I, I worry about his physicality a little bit, but technically superb, two-footed, inside and out. Combination play, short play, switching. I mean, I've been thinking about recently, you know, we're doing a lot of wide you know, wide diamond build-up, wide triangle build-up, and then that's going to get burned out soon. People are going to hook onto that. So our ability to switch out from that one side to the other is going to be really important. And that people work out our progression and how we progress the ball. Now we've brought in Odegaard, that centrality is going to be equally important, but the ability to switch play from wide areas is going to be important. I'm afraid Hector can't do that. The, the evolution of this team is is definitely going to be players who've got more all-court ability. So I like those two, um, but I did like how Chambers played. And you know my previous opinions on Chambers on this podcast. Souffle. I, I believe the word souffle exactly. was thrown around. <laughs> As a centre-back. And, and for me, it was always a Eric Dyer centre-mid or, or a right-back, funny enough. And, um, so Clive on Chambers was the key to his success the way we kept him back so that pace defensively wasn't a problem and he only progressed when we were right up the pitch like as we went into the final third that's when he really joined the attack was yeah. was that something a bit different to what we've done with him before is that why he managed to cover his ass one end and be Cafu the other end I'm torn a bit on this because I think something that Tim said a, a little while ago, which I agreed with, and I think like any player, they play in like a pod, right? So they're playing in a little group and your little pod of three or four players, they dictate your day. They really do, you know? And and the pod of party Odegaard mm-hmm. and the right back, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty good in that little pod. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, and it's it's quite interesting how the right backs have improved since those two players have been consistently playing, and but I do think timing is an issue for Hector. I think how you arrive, when you arrive, and in what shape you arrive. You can't get there too early. You've got to arrive as the ball's progressing, and he under and Chambers understands that. Cedric understands it, and you've got to create relationships, and they both understand that really, really well. Because I do more. think there was a big mistake on the cause and effect. There was the when Chambers played up front in the second half, we were much better. He, that wasn't how it worked. When we were up front in the first half, Chambers joined it. We weren't up front because Chambers was up there. Yeah, it's it's, it's timing. I mean, Tini yeah. does it, doesn't he? When when Tini goes forward, he just arrives, doesn't he? And we almost yeah. go, we we look we all look at our TV and say, where is he? Oh, there he is. He's never not there. You see what I mean? Yeah. He he arrives as the, as the ball. You're taught when the ball's on the back foot of your centre mid, you get on the line, the ball's about to get onto his back foot and he's about to turn out to you and you should already be on the go. That's what you're taught as a fullback, trust me. Be on the line of the centre mid as we're progressing the play and predict and go. So you arrive into space. You're not there too early because you become marked and you block people. right? And Chambers has got it. Cedric has got it. Bellerin has got it too. He's something you can coach, but he's such a bombastic runner. He wants to run, and he just empties a little bit too soon on occasion. But I don't... I often think if, if Hector stays, he wouldn't bother me. He really wouldn't bother me as long as he could brush up on those type of things. Because I think it's very important to our build-up how we, you know, play in a cohesive way. But um, I'm not sure if I answered your question already. I went off on one, but <laughs> you got the answer. I anyway. love the answer regardless, so it, it really doesn't matter. I'm going to ask Paul a question, then Tim, I have an absolute layup for you. So an easy one coming your way. 
Um, this one comes from Gunnar Fan on Twitter, at Gunnar Fan 8. Paul, assuming we spend as high as last season, so one party money signing and one Gabriel mm. money signing, which mm. two positions are you upgrading in our current squad? And and which would get the big spending and which would get the mid spending? You know? Well, help me a little bit, because the first thing here you'd look at is the Odegaard thing. So you'd have that... to spend on that. So if that's your big money spending, nail your colors to the mask now. Oh, yeah, that's easy. If we could get Odegaard for fifty, uh, yep. Yeah, would you so, pay the fifty yeah. we paid for party for Odegaard? I mean, I don't know if it's exactly fifty, but it's it's got to be in that. I mean, he's bloody good. Can I ask you a he's question? Is the yeah. right thing to do? Yeah. Give up on the league, play Odegaard in the league, and have him play like crap in the league, so that he's only worth about like twenty five thirty. And then pay that. Well, I think that's what we're doing with Danny Ceballos at the moment. <laughs> Touche. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Finish Finish answering the real question. Ignore me. Um, so, yeah, that would be my Thomas Party signing would be Odegaard. And then I get a Gabrielle-type signing somewhere. And uh, I like pulling in Saliba. I do think they have to get their head around that one and just make that work out. I have other thoughts on what the issue is there, and I don't think it's... I'm hopeful it's not just Arteta doesn't like him. I think there's there's a lot more to it than whether Arteta liked or didn't like Saliba. So we saw our centre backs. Um, we where's think, that middle like, money going? That that twenty five thirty million pound player. Who's who's that going to be? Well, I think ideally, uh, much as I like uh, Lacazette recently and his return to form, he's a moody bugger. He's up and down like the Assyrian Empire, if you know what I mean. I don't. Um, okay. <laughs> so I think we got to replace at centre forward, um, and uh, but and I think that is important because I think our Ted is going to transition to a different kind of attacking line at some stage. Part of the reason we play the way we do is because of the the two very very expensive and dominant personalities. Uh, and paychecks up front, and it would allow him to uh, move to his new kind of striker, a younger version of whatever it is he wants to do with a nine slash nine and a half kind of player. Um, or maybe he decides he's going to build it all around our ex- existing attack of Aubameyang, pull in Martinelli as the backup, and spend that money on the front line in a different way. Um I don't know if I answered the question there, you but did. I think in, uh, I'd like to center it around the, the the center forward decision, whether he ends up getting a center forward or just a very flexible Sterling type wide player. I mean, we have certain versions of that, but I'm sure he looks at our attacking lineup and says, yeah, but I'd still like more of a Mares, Sterling, whatever he's looking for, uh, so, Gabriel Jesus, so, you know. So I, I don't I don't have a problem with that, but I, I slightly differ. I think look, there are there are four clear areas of need in my view. Number ten, which we hope will be solved by Odegaard, or it's going to be Bandiarawar. You know, you hope it's it's one of those types of players. A, a future at center forward, but I still feel that Martinelli and Pepe both have a shout for being tried in that position. And with Aubameyang under a big contract for a couple of seasons, I think that one can that's a can that can be kicked down the road. And especially if somehow Balogun stays, because then you've got Aubameyang, Martinelli, 
Pepe as, a, as an option. I mean, look, if Thierry Henry could be turned into a striker, granted that's four four two type system, I, I still think Pepe could could maybe do that. And and then, yeah, Balogun. So I think you can kick that can down the road. I think right back, can you get through a, another season of Bellerin? Ideally, I think you sell him and get some money, both move on. Can you get by then with just Chambers and, and Cedric Suarez? So right back looks like a priority, but I, ju- I just got to get a party partner. I have to. I've got to have someone better, someone more athletic and rangy and and just a, a, a wider spectrum of qualities alongside party than our current options. And so for me, the big money signing is the number 10. And then can you can you find not a hidden gem at 30 million or 25 million, but you know a, a less a less well-known but big upside kind of player who can come in and play alongside Thomas Party for 25, 30 million? you know, in that 23-year-old kind of range, that that would be ideal in my view. So not that the question was addressed to me, but that's my answer. Yeah, that works. Okay. Um, Tim, layup. You ready for it? Go for it. And it's not because I don't think you can handle the more sophisticated questions, by the way. It's just, you know. <laughs> so Sam at Sam, 6730618. I loved that song in the 80s. 6730618. Oh, uh, anyway, sorry. Um, what is your take on Vini and Arsenal's initiative on social media abuse and hate? And if necessary, should Arsenal also disable their social media practice? What should we as Arsenal fans do to also stop social media hate and abuse? Yeah, that's that's a really difficult one. And they're, they're, that's not a layup at all. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it, was a, it was a joke, yeah. No, it's a extremely <laughs> serious, challenging and complex yeah, topic, yeah. yes. <clears throat> and because the thing is, there's just so many... Um, I've kind of worked in this in this kind of area before, and the thing is, whatever whichever thread you pull out, there's there's just um, there's never a totally right answer because, um, look, I'm not going to tell Thierry Henry what to do about getting racial abuse online. That is absolutely not my right. Um, there is an argument that coming off of social media lets the abusers win. Um, but, uh, that's, that's obviously not why he's doing it. He's doing it to push the actual social media companies to do more about it. Um, I do think it would be incredibly powerful if Arsenal, I don't know, like Arsenal, like deleted their accounts for like two weeks or something. But then if you say you're just doing it for two weeks and you come back, like, does that, you know, does that really push the needle? As and for then what- they have to pay me $2 million to get at Arsenal back from me. got to monetize it well (laughs) well but the thing is i think it's after 30 days like you can once you delete your account you get 30 days grace right before (laughs) before it goes so that's you know and and look like ultimately a lot of us are dependent on social media um to some extent or other um you know for us, for example, in terms of growing and uh, this podcast and everything else, social media is the biggest part of that, without doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so it is difficult, and it's one of those things like social media now is. Um, I, I guess this may be a bad taste analogy, so apologies. It's kind of like coronavirus; it's here and it's not going away. Mm. Um, you know, like except hopefully like that's coronavirus still, is going away. But okay. <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah. it, it's not right. We the, can the, get control right. of it. Fair point. But yep. It's good not point. actually so going So it is away. a good analogy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, like social media is here to stay. So the answer is to try and make it a better place, right? It's not. It, you're not going to get everyone in the world to delete their accounts and just walk off to something else. Like it is a fact of life. Now it is not a fad anymore. Um, so as for what we can all do, I mean, 
I guess and and I guess like I, I I see this a lot on the kind of on the side of like with women's football as well and and I never know how to broach it really because in in my absolute rational mind I just think just ignore the people who do it they're looking for a reaction don't engage with them don't I, I was quite disappointed like when the um the WSL TV money uh, uh sorry TV contract was revealed and one of the headlines um, I think in the Guardian, and it wasn't that the headline is not written by the writer, was something like, um, you know, one in the eye for the no one cares brigade. And it's like, just ignore the no one cares brigade. You know, mm. like, like no one cares about them. Like, just right. don't engage with it on that level. It's just, it's it's silly. And they will get bored and they'll go away. But obviously you can't, like, that. that is not an acceptable response to things like racial abuse. You, you cannot tell people, I'll just ignore it and it will go away. Like that is not acceptable. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's always that catch 22, like between calling it out and not engaging with it. Um, and so like, like who knows what the answer is really? I mean, the answer, there are a couple of things. There is more that social media companies can do. I'm not a fan of the idea of, of IDing because there are people who absolutely rely on anim- an anonymity um, for their own safety as much as anything. So, you know, members of the trans non-binary community, um, victims of domestic abuse, journalists in certain territories, whistleblowers, like these people, y- you can't you can't do that. Um, but there's so on t- that Tim, can you clarify a little bit? Because there's two-sided anonymity, right? There's yeah. you can be anonymous to the public, but Twitter could know who you are. Yeah. So if you if you're out there racially abusing, that, that, they I, know I, who I you are. I gotta stop you. I I thought that through as well. I yeah. think once anybody knows who you really are, and there's a database of it, the fear of that being abused from a persecutorial standpoint. I mean, especially if you live in a country. That has an oppressive regime. The idea that, oh, don't worry, Twitter won't tell the oppressive regime who you are. Are you really going to report on the abuses of your government if Twitter's got your name, mailing address, and identification on file in that government? I I, I, I take your point about that. If you grandfather in, if everybody keeps their existing anonymous social media accounts, right? Um, Say you have an anonymous Twitter account and you're abusive, Twitter cancels you. Um, you take up your future account from there on in all new accounts are ID'd. So what what about um, just this? You you are allowed to create an anonymous account at the point at which you are flagged for abuse. If it's deemed that you were abusive, the only way you are allowed to continue having an account on the service is if you switch to a a non-anonymous account. So you basically, you can start anonymous, but if you abuse that privilege, you lose that privilege and you can no longer be anonymous. Therefore, you know, you can protect the way social media is helpful in all the ways you identified, Tim, but it is not an unlimited power to go out and just be an asshole. Yeah. But, but you still, and, and like that, that is like a good suggestion, but then you still get this Pandora's box about, do you trust Twitter and Facebook with, with, with that kind of information? I get that, but it is a very different point along the spectrum. And like loads of people would say, yes, I do actually. Uh, I just want to be anonymous. Like if you're a journalist, you'll make your own call, but you may well think that works for me. Twitter knows who I am. Um, I don't think that's how I'm going to get done over. But the public, 
you know, blah, 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 etc. So yeah. for some people, they're going to have an issue with it. But we, given that we're going to have a problem one way or another, it seems like backside, excuse me, uh, identification, frontside anonymity is one possibility that mm -hmm. I, I'm sure, it's, obviously, they've yeah, thought about it's, it. It's, it's got to be explored because the current situation can't go on. It's so yeah. So I, 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 yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I I also think I think Andrew wrote about this the other day and made a good point about like doing more to teach about this in schools, and also doing it from the point of view because I think a lot, not all, but I think a lot of this abuse comes from like 15, 16 year old lads who are bored, and uh, you know that like the the young lad that abused Ian Wright and ended up in court, and you know Ian was was very clear when he was saying me taking him to court was not about the individual and so the reason i accepted his apology was because i didn't necessarily want to rip him or his future apart but there need like there needed to be visible consequences for this mm -hmm. and yeah. so like teaching kids for example this shit will come back at you um you know and and actually obviously teaching them first and foremost that this is not right for these reasons but the the thing is the the, the thing that's really difficult most of them know that it's wrong they know the difference between right and wrong that's why they're doing it because they know it's wrong and they know it's hurtful. And so, yeah, I, I think there, there needs to be a lot more. I think there needs to be a lot more actually that's taught in schools that isn't like critical thinking. Um, for example, I think critical thinking should be a school subject in its own right, but that's another story. So I, you know, I guess um, as to what we can do, I mean, calling stuff out, um, particularly if we see, our friends or people we like or maybe people we follow who it doesn't have to be abuse but just saying things that that aren't that you know having those constructive conversations and kind of saying actually you shouldn't say that you shouldn't talk like that um and fixing like the really fixable stuff um like that that's stuff that we can do um and and perhaps having those uncomfortable conversations with people around us to to detoxify um the general discourse mm. clive but this topic, um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, with Clive, it's called a pauser. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find this topic, it's, it's a broad topic. It's not just about what Terry Henry did around racism. It's around hate and hateful abuse, you know, whether it be gender-related, sexual-related, wherever it is. It's just a societal issue we have at the moment. And football is trying to do its thing in a unified way to highlight these issues and it's I think it's one of the biggest topics there actually is in the world I honestly believe this the world is in a very vulnerable place post the pandemic there's lots of very vulnerable people that are struggling with their mental well-being in this period in their lives a unique period in all our lives and this abuse really does hurt people it really does and um, I don't I also not immune we are absolutely not immune. Let's not pretend that we are perfect because we are part of society, right? So our fans are involved in this as well. And um, all, what can you do? You know, you can only do your little thing, right? You can only do your little thing about how you behave, how you present your kids into the world and how you teach them. I totally agree with Tim around the education side of things. I think education needs to be looked at again because what we're driving is such diverse, extreme opinions and people are no longer having discussions and changing their opinions. And they think, well, I've, I'm, I have a right to my opinion. Well, some of these opinions are so extreme. Some of these opinions are actually law-breaking. Some of these opinions, I'm, I have to remind you, 
may have some accountability. And that's what people are not getting. You think it's my opinion. That's okay. If your opinion is actually breaks the law, not okay. If you're breaking the law or you're allowed to break the law on a platform that reaches millions of people, that can't be right. And so you spoke about anonymity earlier on. I work in technology, trust me. You're never truly anonymous. Um, people have addresses, have IP addresses. They have other platforms that they go on to where they are not anonymous. You can link the two. There's a way to find these people, but obviously it's quite resource intensive. So what you need to do things up front with you know, blocking certain words, which are law-breaking words. There are things you can do technology-wise. As we all know, if we were to post a dodgy video of a football match right now, um, it, you'd be off Twitter in a, in a moment, in an hour. You know, So it's possible to do anything they want to when they really want to. So I, I do think, I'm, I'm pleased with Arsenal down. I think May United does something similar. It's, it's just a, I'd expect that from our club. I think football needs to do its bit, but football can't stop what's happening in society on its own. It can only engender conversation as the as the world soap opera, and it needs to do that. It needs to create its conversation. I know it's boring for some people; they don't want to talk about it anymore because they're just bored of it. But it's real; it really is real, and we need to take heed to how we're behaving towards each other, wherever the topic is. I, I can't stress the importance of this, and um, I think over the next few months, I think it's going to be even more important. Yeah, as we come out of the pandemic, it will manifest itself even more, you know. And I think it's it's a topic that's number one on my agenda, even more than I said in the field earlier. Number one on my agenda. <laughs> well, then your priorities are wrong, my friend. Uh, no, look, <laughs> of course it's important, and I, I think. So the first thing that needs to be done is to differentiate and distinguish between people being mean to one another and and genuine abuse right people being rude people being um unpleasant that's not great either uh genuine abuse racist abuse sexist abuse telling someone to kill themselves you know wishing harm on people threatening people that does fall into a different class i think there is also a problem of just survivorship bias to some extent what i mean by that is Think about your normal day. If you're a normal, decent human being, you go about your day pre-pandemic, you bump into people, you see people at the office, you see people at school, you see people in social environments, you will literally never not once in a month of being out in the public probably be told to kill yourself, probably be called a racist name, probably be told to go F yourself. Those are things that just don't happen in, in polite society to most people most days. I'm not saying it never happens. But it's very rare. And yet on social media, it's rare to go a day without it happening at least once. And... So it's very jarring because it is an exposure to being treated in a way that we were never treated before. Um, so that's a problem. The problem also, though, is we over-index for it. Now, this is not me downplaying the severity of it, not, not remotely. But I'll give you an example just from my experience. If I come on this podcast and say something stupid, which is a day that ends in Y, and I go on social media, and I tweet out the podcast link, let's say there are 80 replies if three of the replies are, you're a moron, and 77 are, hey, good pod, enjoyed it. You know the ones I'm going to remember? I'm going to remember you're a moron. I'm going to be like, social media sucks. People are mean. My life stinks. And I'm going to be plunged into depression because I'm a sensitive guy. And I'm going to be impacted by people calling me a moron. And yet, we live in a society that by and large is 90% good, decent people just trying to get through their day and 10% noisy assholes. And on social media, unfortunately, that 10% of noisy assholes can ruin it for everyone. And so we have to find a way to account for the noisy assholes 
in a way that doesn't sweep up the 90% of us just trying to make the best of it. Because if I really look at it numerically, you guys, I have wonderful interactions on social media. And I'm not making this all about me. I'm saying I think that's true for most people who are not overtly involved in political messaging. That's a whole other problem, unfortunately. So it is a challenge because it is a challenge of dealing with a noisy, obnoxious minority of people. A minority of people break laws. A minority of people abuse people and are violent. And and as a society, that that is something that we have struggled to deal with for, for centuries. And we continue to. You know, and I am old enough to remember when video games were destroying children. I'm not old enough to remember when rock and roll was going to destroy children, but it was. And now I'm old enough to remember when social media is going to destroy society. I do think social media is changing the way we interact. And I do think it is a challenge. And I think as a society, we have to evolve to understand how to use it responsibly. Um, and so... You know, I, I, it is a, always a hard problem to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Clearly, you should not be able to go up to a stranger on social media and racially abuse them, sexually, uh, sexist abuse, misogynistically abuse them, um, uh, wish death upon them. You shouldn't be able to do that. And it seems to me that it shouldn't be this difficult to prevent that from occurring. Um, you know, so I just, I hope that people can recognize at least the goodness because there is a tendency we see it right a few fans complain oh fans are assholes or a few you know a few people do something bad and then we start to we start to believe everybody is bad i think we're mostly and this is maybe naive i just feel like we are good inherently i know when i interact with so many of you you're good we are good people and and i hope that we don't lose that goodness and and the the awareness of the, the the volume of tremendous wonderful good people, because there is a noisy cluster of assholes that we have to find a way to deal with. Is that? I mean, am I being naive? It just yeah. I, I don't think yep. you are. I just I just want to say one thing, one more thing. I, I wrote it in the chat just now, but I listened to the sixty minute Sky video that um, Finn I did, and I, I actually just try and find it and watch it. Is I thought he spoke brilliantly. I thought he spoke brilliantly. I thought he captured exactly mm-hmm. what he said yep. earlier. The goodness of social media, the interaction. I mean, how many people have we all met on social media? That we, each other. That we know. We each met other. each other. Who am I talking about here? <laughs> yeah. And um, how many people in your lives you met on social media? How many people do you have private messages with? So many. It's so many positive interactions. Even on this podcast, we get so many positive interactions where we can talk about people, certain things, help people, support people. It's fantastic. We're very fortunate. We are very fortunate. But there is the other side, and it's affecting people in that maybe it's affecting everybody. But the people in high profile positions that the public feel belong to them, it's affecting them a lot more. And I think um, some of these football, they're just kids, right? They're just yeah. kids. They're twenties. They're twi- and I said this before. I said this months ago, and it's become more in the public eye. That the Arsenal players have had this abuse. They've had to have counselling. They've had to have that. And I find that really sad. I really do. But they're not. They're not alone. It's, it's happening all over, all over the country. And because of this is a, a health issue, this is seen as highly confidential. So they don't want to share it. Obviously, but it's personal to individuals. It's their health. But this is happening, and it's just been hidden. You know, and it really does make you sit up and think, "Wow." But let's focus on both sides. I agree with you. It's, there's two sides to the story. Yeah, and I mean the obvious thing, Tim, to your point about how do you solve it, is let people tweet or post or say whatever they want on their account, but don't let them reply. You know what I mean? Ban replies, ban, ban 
people's right to reply to something, whatever the case may be, because the problem isn't that you come across nasty shit on social media. It's that people say it to you. And so, you know, there are now features blocking and reporting and muting, but at some point, people should just lose the right to reply because that's that's where the abuse happens. You know, I think if you're famous, you, you can't run your own social media because you can't look at the replies. You just can't. Um and that is a shame, but I, it is is a small number of people. And I, you know, I do wonder if you could see the person, you know, guys, like if you could see that the person writing that racist abuse is an 11 year old in their parents' basement, would you have a different attitude? I mean, it doesn't make it any better. I'm not saying it's good, but like, you know, understanding that sometimes, you know, if it was from a troll farm, would that make you feel different? I don't know. I just, the anonymity of it makes it so difficult to evaluate who these people are and what their real thoughts are and you know, are they even real people to begin with? Very Can complicated. Can I add a bit, Elliot? Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the believing we're, we're mostly all good, I so I, I wouldn't go into it in big depth, but I think the problem with that is we're not, right? And, and I think the problem with that is that we misunderstand what's going on. People aren't all good, Uh it's it's not even that all, there's lots of good people and lots of bad people. There's people who are very civilized have kind of beaten all of that out of them and they behave well in society. That's where the anonymity come, comes into it. But we're not all good. And we all know that within within ourselves. And when we when we approach this thing thinking most people are good and it's only the teenagers, it's just not like that. Um, I, just to be clear, I'm not saying we bad. are all yeah. good. I'm saying that, and to be clear, we've all, all of us at one point have been kind of a jerk on social media to someone. We all have. You're just going to be. You're going to be a jerk to people. I'm talking about the number of people that would legitimately racially abuse someone or threaten to kill someone. or You, you know what I mean? To, to yeah. participate yeah. in the kinds of behavior that cross agree, the line into abuse. I but there's a lot of them, and they're not all teens. And we all, somewhere deep in our 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 mix we all have something unpleasant about us uh, most of us have buried it deep civilized it etc we're we're uh, and so we need to understand it's it's not going to be just a few and it's not just some teenagers uh you know we have a bit of the devil about us and and it's it's a problem that that's that's deep in there and you see it uh, in these more as things become political and polarized you see more of this stuff because that's where the civilization the cracks in our civilized relationship with each other when we see the other as the problem all of this anger comes up and it'll be a lot of people so maybe no big point there but i i just i guess i always get a little worried when when we say to ourselves most people are good because most people are good and bad yeah, no, Just but but put put them under enough pressure or put get them angry enough, and we suddenly see uh, how close to our uh, prehistoric ancestors we become real quick. I guess. I mean, I, look, I disagree, but that's fine. It's it's a civil yeah. disagreement. I think I think the overwhelming majority of human beings are overwhelmingly d- desire to be good. To do oh, good, no. to be no, better. no, no. But uh, I agree. We can't. We can't sort that. We here, won't solve that. Man, and, 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 and let me just say this, to. just as a point: if you're right, Paul, and the overwhelming majority of people are bad, 
no, then don't, not bad. Wor- don't no, worry no, no, about no. fixing social no, no. media. No, 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 no. Just hide in a bunker. <laughs> no, no, you, no, you've mi- no, you can't, you can't say I've said most people are bad. I'm saying most Everybody people are the devils and they're e- demons and they manage them. When things are civilized and we, uh, we've defied, divined our relationships with each other, and when there's a socializing, like the, uh, I'm going to use the term police, right? But uh, police now has become politicized. But you need that third party that polices things so that you need that triangle of people behaving from other sides, cultures, civilized, and it's policed. Because when people think it's, it's them versus the other guys, we get uglier. And so the, it, this does need policing. Mm. I, think, and, I think what Paul yeah. made me trigger Paul is it's not just a few kids. Oh, this I, is, I don't want to. No, I don't want to whitewash it as that. I'm yeah, saying if you people. knew who your abuser was, if you could, you know, I think some percentage of it is, you know, bad actors and some percent. I, I guess I what would be helpful to rooting this out would be someone meaningfully studying how it's happening, where it's coming from, what the, you know, the process by which it occurs is because like. Once you understand that, you may understand better how to how to how to m- mitigate it. I think my complaint is, I don't know if anybody even has a good handle on who's doing this abusing. Why are they doing it? What is the mo- you know? Is it is it understand? It, it would be interesting to try to understand where it's coming from so that we can understand how to mitigate it. Because I think we really have a very very shallow understanding of how social media is used and of how to perfect it. This society has to come to terms with the digital world we exist on. You have NFTs now and cryptocurrencies and social media, and we are increasingly digitizing our life. And what the pandemic has done is only taken that further. Now get togethers are zoom and companies are going to go to, you know, remote work full time. And as we become a more digital society, we're going to have to, you know, Paul, I agree with you to this extent. Thomas Hobbes said life outside of society is nasty, brutish and short. Well, digital society can be nasty, brutish and short. And we're going to have to fix that. You know, that's yeah. that's going to have to change. Um, Tim, any final words since we've just sort of talked to each other outside of your <laughs> your involvement here? No, no, no. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's just an enormous subject that goes yeah, that goes way beyond football, isn't it? Um, yeah, and there there are no quick, easy answers to this. Mm, it, it it's so strange, right? We've we've built this whole civilization up on the habits and the behaviors and the the psychology of what happens when you put a bunch of people together in a city, in a room, in an office, whatever it is. And now we're pulling that apart and putting it together in a digital plane. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm old enough to have been in offices when email sort of became the prevalent way of communicating. And guys, if you're old enough to remember when offices started using email, it was like social media. People in offices would email their colleague and tell them to go F themselves. Because people could not behave <laughs> only, digitally. Only New York. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm telling you, I, I'd have people sitting two offices down in a law firm who would be like, go F yourself on an email. I'm like, this is, we're in an office. How is this happening? But like, once you create anonymity and remove that, you know, it's like, it's like road rage. You ever had road rage when you're driving your car? You don't see the Wait. car as another human being. You see it as a faceless, anonymous other. And, and that is, you know. Uh, to Paul, to your point, I will say, when you start to see someone as a faceless, anonymous other, it's very easy to pour all of your anger and hatred and fears into that, into yep. that, yep, that is for sure. To take that anonymous other and project onto them all the terrible things you assume they might be, yeah, that is that is a thing we do. I, I won't disagree with that. Um, 
All right, we solved that, so that's good. <laughs> so so now, okay, how much would you pay for Odegaard? But no, you know what? We can't go back from that. We're just going to have to leave it there. We'll tie the conversation off there because it's um, it's now 90 minutes in, and we, we definitely have, have only complicated my feelings about social media abuse, which um, I want to thank Paul for now making me concerned that everybody in my life is out to, uh, to get me and is terrible. Thanks for that, Paul. Got me thinking about my Hobbes again. Welcome. Uh, that political science education coming back. So anyway, uh, I hope you guys are doing well and, and enjoyed this. And we'll we'll try to get you know mailbags in from time to time to get to your questions. But we will have an instant reaction pod after the Liverpool game tomorrow, late at night UK time, obviously, but perfect time for those of you in other places. <laughs> um, so we'll see how that goes. And then uh, yeah, full podcast again on Monday and and Slavia Prague coming up. We'll try to do a live stream pre match for that. We'll have tons of Patreon content next week. So however you choose to join us, we're just happy you're here and appreciate your abusive feedback on social media. Okay. Uh, with that having said, Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pens. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Roberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. See, that's it. Just block, block me on Twitter. <laughs> no abuse there. Uh, you know, and uh, give us a five-star review. That's always helpful if you can do that. And more than anything, we just love you and thank you for being here. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool News. No.